Wow. Give the Lord a big hand. Let our praise team know that you love them too. Wow. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I come into his courts with praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. I am so glad we can come and praise his name today. And it is the name of Jesus that has power. Just his name can change your life today. And I pray that it will. I pray that you would let him. I'm, I'm, can y'all tell I'm kind of fired up? Woo, baby. Man, I just I kind of feel it on me today. And uh, I got my whole family and my mother-in-law is here. I would love to preach. Woo, man. <laughs> But I've got the best preacher in the Free Will Baptist denomination with us today. Uh, he didn't come really far from here. Uh, he's a Poto Pirate. Let's hear it for the Poto Pirates. Uh, anybody? Anybody? Anybody a pirate out there? Uh, if you come tonight to a Bible study in the Ignite class, you're going to hear his testimony of how he went from a Poto Pirate fullback to a full gospel preacher and is now the leader of the Free Will Baptist denomination. Uh, he's my dear friend, Keith Burden, uh, and he is our National Executive Secretary. Now, we don't really have a hierarchy in our Free Will Baptist denomination, but if we did, he's our Pope, all right? He, he's the Pope right here. He is really the face and the voice of Free Will Baptist. Uh, I respect him. He is, he is true to who he is and what he says, and above all that, he is my dear friend. I love Keith Burden. Uh, it is an honor to have him in our church and have him to preach today for us. So would you please give him a roaring Kavanaugh welcome. kind of about Brother Will like they did about Lazarus whenever he got resurrected. Turn him loose and let him go. <laughs> Cut loose. I uh, had an opportunity uh, a few couple of years ago or so to be in service with a mutual friend of ours, Brother Randy Wilson. He was celebrating an anniversary at the Bethany Free Will Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And uh, it was a surprise. The church had us come in unbeknownst to Randy. He got up that morning thinking he was going to preach. And uh, you can imagine the surprise on his face when he walked out of the front of the church and the church told him, you sit down and be quiet and listen. This day has been planned for you. It's terrible when a preacher loses control. <laughs> we're, we're control freaks and it's really bad. And you could tell you know, all of his family was up on the first couple of pews and Debbie and I were in the back. We hadn't come in yet. And there was no, no podium or pulpit or lectern on the stage that day because as a pastoral gift they had had a brand new pulpit constructed custom made just for brother randy and they were going to wait till the end of service to present the new pulpit to him so there was nothing up there so it came time for me to speak and i had my notes and my bible and i had nothing to put it on so i got up there and i just kind of stood there bewildered about what to do and one of the men went over to the side of the stage and brought a table over and set it down it looked like this but it was a lot taller now, I'm a meeting planner by trade, and I know what that's called in the meeting industry. It's called a cocktail table. <laughs> and I told them I've done a lot of things in my ministry, but I've never preached off a cocktail table until I came to Randy's church. 
But if you know Randy, you'd understand that that would be okay. He keeps calling me the Pope. I uh, told him one time, if he keeps doing that, I'm going to consign him to purgatory and uh, <laughs> excommunicate him from the church. <clears throat> but uh, the t title I prefer to use is the chief servant of all. That's all I am as a servant, an opportunity to serve our denomination. It is an honor and a privilege to serve in that capacity. Uh, you may have already heard, but this past uh, summer at our convention in Little Rock, Arkansas, I announced that this will be my last year to serve as executive secretary of our denomination. Uh, my goal is to get out alive. <clears throat> With my mind reasonably intact. And so uh, you pray for the executive committee of our denomination as they're in search of a replacement for me. Uh, pray that God would lead them to the right man to help our denomination go to the next level and do the things that God has in store for us. Well, enough about that. Open your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be reading a single verse for our text this morning, but we'll be referring to verses from this chapter. So please keep your Bibles open uh, with me as we go through the message today. It's a uh, single verse, verse number 13. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Father, this is your word. We're thankful that we have the opportunity to hold it in our hand, to hear it in our ear, and to hide it in our heart. May we do so today that we might not sin against you, that we might know how we ought to live our lives, that we might conform our lives to your divine will for us, and that we might be the men and women, boys and girls that you want us to be. We're recognizing this morning, Father, our absolute dependence upon you. It is beyond me to be able to take the word of God and deal with it as I should without your presence and power. So we commit this service to you today and ask that you would anoint not only the speaker, but the hearer as well, that the same Holy Spirit who inspired this word to be written will be the one who will come and guide our minds and our hearts into all truth today. Exalt Christ, and as he is exalted this morning, hide us behind the cross and draw all men unto yourself. And may when we're finished here today, may we leave here saying, we have indeed been in the very presence of God today, for we ask it in his name and for his glory, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, the text that I shared with you just now is one that we could probably all quote from memory. It's one of the most familiar and undoubtedly one of the most oft-quoted verses in the entire Word of God. My youngest daughter, Katie, this is her life verse, so it's very special to me. It is commonly used as a blanket generalization whenever Christians face a difficult situation or an impossible circumstance. You can always pull this verse out when you get in a tight spot. When you're backed into a corner or you're up against the wall, this is a good verse to pull out and use. Well, I can always go to this verse. It's my, it's my go-to verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But I believe a closer examination of this verse is necessary if we're going to interpret it correctly and avoid its misuse or its abuse. No verse in the Bible probably has been exposed to more absurd interpretations than this verse of Scripture. So as I develop this message this morning, there are some things that I want us to keep in mind as we move through this Scripture. First of all, notice the faith that is evidenced in Paul's statement. I like a good positive assertion like Paul made here when Paul says, I can do. <clears throat> there's no hesitance. There's no reluctance. There's no wavering in Paul's voice at all when he made that statement. I can do. 
to say, well, it seems to me like he was being pretty confident. He was being almost selfishly arrogant. Paul was not being selfishly arrogant. He was being spiritually assertive and he had spiritual assurance. He was convinced that there were things he could do through the power of Christ that he could never do through his own strength. So Paul here is exuding faith as he talks about this. Secondly, notice the focus implied in Paul's statement. Unfortunately, there have been those through the years who have misused or misapplied this verse and they tried to justify their foolish claims and validate their outlandish actions. You see, I believe that I can do all these things through Christ which strengthens me. But I am not going to get on top of this church and try to defy gravity and jump off because I'll break my neck. God gave me enough sense to recognize there are some things I need to trust him for and other things I need to have enough sense not to do on my own. The phrase all things is not a license to do or attempt to do something irresponsible. So remember that. Don't misuse this verse. Personally, I think the verse could just as well be translated, I can do all these things through Christ which strengthens me. You see, Paul here, I believe, is looking back on the verses that precede verse 13, and he's putting it in context. And I think we need to do that anytime we have the Word of God. If we take God's Word out of context, then it becomes a pretext, and that's bad. So we need to always recognize that we need to put Paul's words, as with all words in Scripture, in its proper context in order to understand them. So Paul explains in great detail what all these things were that he could do, and that will be the subject of today's message. One other point I want to make by way of introduction, and that is notice the foundation upon which Paul's statement rests. In other words, Paul had a basis, or there was grounds for the statement he was making here. He did not presume to be able to do any of these things in his own power or own ability. Had Paul stopped at that point and said, I can do all things, and stopped there, you said, I don't know, Paul, about that. But Paul qualified what he's saying. He gives us a foundation. I can do all these things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see, Paul was not dependent upon his own strength or his own ability. And if anybody ever had the right to depend upon their own strength and presume upon their own strength, it would have been the Apostle Paul because he was a mighty man of faith. But even Paul recognized these things were achievable, these things were doable only through the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what were some of the things that Paul said he could do through Christ's strength? Well, let's begin at the beginning of this chapter and we'll find out. First of all, he begins by saying, through Christ, I can stand fast. Look at verse 1. Therefore, in light of what I've just told you, Paul said, my brethren dearly beloved and long for... My crown and my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul referred to the Philippians as brethren. Therefore, we know that they were fellow believers. They had at some point in time committed their life to Jesus Christ by faith. These are not unregenerate people. These were saved individuals, people who had put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's admonition to stand fast implies that they were taking a stand right then and they were capable of continuing to stand firm in their faith for Jesus Christ. If you had to narrow it down to one admonition for us today, God wants you who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ to draw a line in the sand and stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ in your life today. Paul was suggesting through the strength of Christ we can continue to stand and honor that commitment. I shared this morning with the first group that when I was a young pastor, 
I would go to people's houses and try to share my faith in Jesus Christ. And many times I would hear, have them raise an objection and say, Well, Brother Preacher, I wouldn't mind committing my life to Christ if I really believed that I could stand for Christ. But I just don't believe I can live the Christian life. I don't think that I can stand for the Lord. Now, in my younger days, I would have argued with them. I would have said, Oh, but sure you can. You can do it. God wouldn't ask you to if you couldn't. But then I realized later the best thing for me to do is not argue, but to agree with them. And say, you know what? You are absolutely correct. You cannot, in your own strength, stand for God and live a victorious Christian life. You can't, you can't be victorious in your life in your own strength. But the good news is, you don't have to. You don't have to stand in your own strength. You've been called along Christ, out of Christ to trust Him, to give you the strength to live for Him. I can do it. Maybe you can't live in your own strength. Stop trying. Put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He continues in verses 2 and 3 by saying, Through Christ I can work through my disagreements with others. This is where it gets very exciting. I beseech you, Odious, and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind or get along with one another in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with others my fellow laborers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now let's get one thing straight right at the beginning. These women were followers of Christ. They had put their faith in Jesus. They were true yoke fellow. Their names were written down in the book of life. So there's no question about their spiritual status. They were followers, Christ followers. But the Bible seems to indicate, well it doesn't seem to indicate, it just tells us flat out, plain simple, they were having trouble getting along with one another. Paul was admonishing these women to get along with one another in the Lord. They were women. I'm just saying. No, the truth is, Paul could have, there could have been two men having a problem just as well as there were two women. But these two women who were sisters in Christ were having conflict that was having an adverse on their ability to work together and it was hindering the work of God and the church from moving forward. I've traveled extensively across this denomination. I don't have to be in a church service very long to sense whether there's harmony or disharmony in the congregation. There's no telling what free will Baptists could be doing for the cause of Christ today if we could just learn to put our differences aside and get along with one another. Most of the things we fuss about and disagree over aren't worth fussing about. It's a sure sign of spiritual maturity when a person gets to the point they can look you in the eye and say, I might disagree with you, but you're my sister, you're my brother in Christ, and I'm going to find a way to get past our disagreements. We're going to work together in spite of our disagreements, and we're going to put the work of God ahead of our own personal preferences. You do understand that Christians are not exempt from disagreement. I thought when I first got saved, well, you know, I just loved everybody and everybody loved me. Wrong. There are differing personalities and temperaments and preferences, so conflict is inevitable. You know what? I don't even agree with my wife on everything. I've learned to say, yes, dear. I told a young man recently who was getting married, I said, now that you're married, you have two choices. You can be right or you can be happy. <laughs> he said, Pastor, I choose to be happy. I said, you're a wise young man. 
let's face it, even among brothers and sisters in Christ, there are those people who are harder to get along with than others. We're not going to be perfectly able to get, harmoniously get along with one another until we get to heaven someday. Yet Paul recognizes that through the enabling grace of God, we can work together. If you have not been involved in ministry in this church, if you have not taken some responsibility, if you're not involved in something that you would like to really be involved in, that you are passionate about, that you have a spiritual gift to do, but you're not doing it because somebody else is in that ministry, you need to get over it. You need to get over it. You need to find out how you can get along in spite of your differences and work together because God's kingdom is more important than you being right. By the way, I told him this morning, when I became the executive secretary, my goal for the first week was to please everybody in Free Will Baptist. It took less than a week to find out that would never happen. I can't even please my wife all the time. So my goal now is to make the fewest people mad possible. <laughs> and we are having a measure of success. Let's get along with one another. Let's love one another. You say, I, can't, I, I just can't work with that person. Maybe you can't, but through Christ's strength, you can do anything. Verse 4, Paul says, in effect, through Christ, I can be joyful at all times. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. The word rejoice could also be translated to be full of joy or to be glad or joyful. And as you look at this verse in its context, a closer look at this verse reveals at least two things were responsible for Paul's joy. First of all, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. He did not say rejoice in your circumstances. Because quite frankly, a lot of times my circumstances don't warrant joy. I see a lot of people, I say, how you doing? Well, pretty good under the circumstances. I feel like saying, get out from under them. That's a terrible place to live your life under the circumstances. When Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we can rejoice. Jesus sent the disciples out and they came back rejoicing that the, that the devils were subject to them, that they'd been able to do great and mighty signs. And Jesus said, don't be rejoicing in that, but rather rejoice because your name is written down in the book of heaven in the book of life. You see, folks, that's never going to change. So regardless of what's going on in your life, be it good or bad, you can always be joyful and glad because you're rejoicing in the Lord and not in your circumstances. Paul also says we could rejoice always. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. That suggests to me that we should rejoice in every situation. Now, admittedly, there are some difficult times in our lives. If you haven't gone through a difficult period in your life as a follower of Christ, just hang on because the day's coming. You will experience a trial, a tribulation. You'll go through a dark valley. And even when you're going through those difficult times, I'm here to tell you today, you can still be joyful and rejoice in the Lord through your tears, through your pain, and through your sorrow. My wife and I lost a grandbaby about 11 years ago. Our youngest daughter, Katie, was pregnant with her first child, Caroline B. She was going to be a Down syndrome, and it took us a while to get our arms around that, but we finally embraced it, and we were excited about this little girl coming into the world. I told Katie the good thing about it is her grandpa will never embarrass her. <laughs> it doesn't matter how I act, she's going to love me regardless. That's how Downs are. We were so excited that she came in September in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we only got to keep her five days. Whenever we sat in the, in the uh, parents' room that day and she held the baby in her arms and God slipped in and took her out of her arms into heaven, 
one of the hardest things in my life I've ever experienced is giving up a grandchild. I mean, I'm the, I'm, I'm the executive secretary. I'm dad. I'm supposed to fix it. That's when God nudged me that day in the quietness of that room and said, now would be a good time for you to take the advice you've been handing out all your ministry. Trust me. And my son-in-law, Jeff, opened his Bible and began to read the scripture. Suffer little children to come unto me and don't forbid them because such is the kingdom of God. And though tears were streaming down my face, my heart was breaking. I was rejoicing because I knew that wasn't the end for that little girl. I'd see her again someday. And I'm looking forward when I get to heaven. I want to see Jesus. And I want to see my mom and dad and others who've gone ahead. But I'm looking forward to meeting a little girl who never got to know her papa. I can rejoice in spite of that because of the strength of Christ. If it hadn't been for the strength of the Lord, I would have been a heap in the floor that day in the fetal position. But I was able to rejoice because of the strength of Christ. You say, how does that work, preacher? I can't explain it. I don't know, but I know it works. And God will help you rejoice when you're going through hard times as well. Paul maintains that through Christ I can manage my stress. I'm probably the only person in this room who really needs this point, but bear with me if you would as I go through it in verses 5 through 7. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Why, Paul? Because the Lord is at hand. Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your Request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As I see it, there are some things that are key to managing stress in our life. Now, you can go out to the bookstore tomorrow, to the self-help section, and buy a book and spend a lot of money that tells you how to manage stress from a carnal or secular point of view, and it might or it might not help you. But I can give you some advice out of the Word of God. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything, and I guarantee you it works. First of all, we must be aware of the Lord's presence in our life. When Paul said the Lord is at hand, he is reminding us that while it may be talking about the imminent return of Christ, what I think he's saying here is the Lord is at hand. He's always close at hand. He's always close by. No matter what circumstance you go through, no matter what difficulty you face in your life, if you're a child of God, you can be assured that you're not alone in that circumstance. Just as though he's with it, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, he will be with you when you go through your hour of testing. So you can count on him to be there, count on the presence of the Lord. Paul said we must also pray. Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. There is no time that I stand more confident in my spiritual life than when I get on my knees and I get a hold of my Heavenly Father. Prayer. Why is it always a last resort whenever it's our first recourse? Why do we try everything else before we finally get on our knees and say, Lord, I can't handle this. I need your help. You're guaranteed that God will give you the strength to get through whatever problem you're having I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases that verse. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. If you're going to expend some energy, spend it on your knees in prayer. We must allow the peace of God to permeate our being. You see, Jesus is in the peace-giving business. He didn't just speak peace to the waves out on the sea when the disciples were in the boat that day. That wasn't the one and only time. You see, Jesus, the one who spoke peace in that day, can still speak peace to our heart today. I don't know how to explain it, but whenever I recognize that I can't but God can, and I put it in His hands, and I leave it there, like the old song we used to sing, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When you really do that by faith, 
There's a peace that comes into our heart that I can't explain. Paul said it passes understanding. You can't explain it. You can't read a book about it. There's not a class you can take. But there is the assurance from God's word that God will give you his peace in your most difficult hour. Paul continues in verses 8 and 9 by saying that through Christ I can control my thought life. Finally, you say that means he's getting ready to close? No, that doesn't mean anything when a preacher says it. (laughs) Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any... That's kind of repetitious, wasn't it? If there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on these things. What things, Paul? Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. You can have the peace of God because you have the God of peace. You can control your thought life. The word think in verse 8 literally means to meditate. It has unfortunately taken on a somewhat mystical meaning in our culture today. If you're talking about meditation to a person who's not regenerated, not a Christian, doesn't have a church background, when you say meditate, they automatically visualize some individual in a room in silk pajamas, sitting on the floor with their legs crossed, their fingers together, chanting and getting at one with the universe. Um. And one of the things they advocate is that you should empty yourself of everything. Get all this negative energy out and just empty your mind. Just get it all out. Empty it. Bad advice. You see, biblical meditation is not emptying your mind, but rather it is filling your mind with the Word of God. It is brainwashing yourself with the Scripture. Believing what the Bible says. If you open your mind up, folks, and you don't put something in there good in its place, the devil will come along and fill that space every time. So be careful about that kind of meditation. Biblical meditation. You say, you know, I have a hard time with my, 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 my thinking, preacher, my mind. I have negative thoughts. There are things that come my way from time to time that I don't want. I don't even know where it came from. The best defense I know to tell you is to fill your mind with the Word of God. And pull that word up every time the devil brings those thoughts to your memory and realize that God will give you the strength to have victory in your thought life. I may be the only person here who struggles in this area, but I struggle a lot there. And I have to regularly go to the scripture and remind the devil. The Bible says, by the way, Jesus quoted the Bible to the devil. It worked then and it works today as well. If you do that, if you purposefully think about things that are true and honorable and upright and holy and beautiful and things that are of great value, then you can have victory in your life. Some of you have been waiting to hear this point. Through Christ, I can fulfill my stewardship responsibilities. That's how you preachers are. You always figure out a way to bring money into it. It's in here. It's in here. Look, if you will, at verse number 10. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the, la- at the last your care of me, that talks about financial uh, provisions, financial help, physical needs, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. It's no secret that the church at Philippi was one of the most generous churches that Paul ever worked in, that he ever had a relationship with. So Paul here is challenging them to be generous in their giving fulfilling their stewardship responsibility. 
I'm going to be honest with you, one of the most challenging aspects of discipleship for new converts is this matter of spiritual stewardship, Christian stewardship. I was leading a couple one time in a new convert lesson. Hank and Connie Stackhouse were new converts. I led them to the Lord at the West Tulsa Free Will Baptist Church. We were working on new convert lessons, the one that the Home Missions Department put out. And I remember after the first lesson, one of the questions was about the assurance of salvation. Is there anything in your life today that you think might be in disobedience to the will of God? And Hank looked at me and said, would a subpoena for my arrest qualify? <laughs> he was a former hell's angel. He was rough. I said, a subpoena for your arrest? He said, yes, sir. I got picked up DUI, didn't have a valid license, and they give me a summons to appear, and I haven't done it, and I'm in violation of the summons. And I said, well, there's only one thing to do. He said, what's that? I said, go turn yourself in. He said, they'll put me in jail. I said, you'll be put in jail doing the right thing at least, Hank. But we were talking about stewardship. By the way, he pulled his shirt up and showed me a, a scar on his side where he got shot by the police. He's a bad dude. And I was a little bit reluctant whenever he first got saved and put his arms around me to hug me. But he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a believer, a follower of Christ. We were doing stewardship's lesson on tithing. And I had him read the scripture from over in the book of Malachi about uh, bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. I had him read the scripture about the tithe. He called it the tithe. He said, the tithe is the Lord's. I said, Hank, do you know what a tithe is? He said, no, sir. I said, it means a tenth. God wants you to give 10% of what you make to him. He said, you got a better your ever-loving mind, preacher. I said, no, I'm not, Hank. He said, I'm telling you. How in the world does God expect me to live on 90% when I'm not making it on 100% right now? I said, Hank, I can't explain it, but I can tell you one thing. You can't outgive God. If you trust the Lord with your money, God will make sure that 90% goes further than that 100% ever went. Trust the Lord. You say, I can't do it, preacher. We can't afford to do it. Maybe you can't afford to tithe, but you can do it through Christ and his strength. I love what uh, Dr. Stan Toler told the story about Brother Bozeman who was a uh, Church of Christ preacher up in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was preaching one Sunday night on station WLW, and he was preaching on tithing. And he got over here to this passage in the book of Malachi. He said, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And as he was preaching that night, someone up in the balcony shouted out and said, Brother Bozeman, what about 5%? Brother Bozeman said, no, sir, God doesn't do windows for less than 10%. You say, well, that, that was a uh, standard under the law, preacher. The standard under grace is even more exacting than that. God wants us to support him. You say, well, I, my wife and I have sat down, or my husband and I have sat down, and we've tried to figure out a way financially we can afford to tithe, and it just doesn't make, it defies logic. But it doesn't defy the power of God. God will give you what you need if you will give him what he has asked from you. Last but not least, I want to share with you in verses 11 and 12, through Christ, Paul said, I can be content regardless of my circumstances. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. <clears throat> the word content here in the King James Version is the translation of the Greek word that was used by a school of philosophers called the Stoics. 
These were people who lived a very uh, deprived, monastic kind of life. They said, you don't depend on anyone or anything outside of yourself. You depend totally upon the inner strength that's within you. That sounds like a familiar philosophy that's prevalent in our world today. I don't need God. I don't need anybody else. All I need is what I am and what I have inside of me. Well, I'm going to tell you something, friend. If, if your resources inside of you are all you are dependent on today to be content, you're never going to find contentment. See, Paul was content not because he was self-sufficient, but because his sufficiency was in Jesus Christ. Christ is all I need. And if you don't have Christ in your life today, I don't care how much money you make, I don't care how far you travel, I don't care how much education you acquire, you will never find true contentment because real contentment is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The story is told of an African farmer who had heard tales of other people making millions of dollars by discovering diamond mines on the continent of Africa. That old African was so excited about the possibilities that lay ahead that he just up one day and sold his farm, sold it lock, stock, and barrel, and took the proceeds and used the money to traipse across the African continent. He was searching for those valuable gems that he just knew were out there somewhere, and if he found them, he'd be rich and he could be content. Unfortunately for him, he never found his fortune, and as you can imagine, he died a despondent, dejected, discouraged man. Meanwhile, the man who had purchased the farm from this wealth-seeking African discovered that there were parts of the property he had not seen, so he was walking the property one day, and he was walking alongside a stream, and as he walked alongside the stream, he saw what looked like a clump of curious crystal in the water. So he reached down and got it out and dried it off and thought, well, this is pretty. It would be a good conversation piece. So he put it in his pocket and took it to his house and put it on the fireplace mantle as a conversation starter when people came to his house. It was several weeks or months later that he had a visitor in his home who was admiring the clump of crystal and asked the farmer, could I examine that more closely? He said, sure you can. He took it off the mantle and he almost fainted when he began to realize this was not a clump of crystal. This was a diamond in the rough. And the incredible thing about it was that stream was full of gems just like that. Unfortunately, many people like that first African waste their lives looking elsewhere for better opportunities when the reality is genuine wealth and true contentment and happiness may be as close as your own backyard. Say, preacher, I've tried to find contentment, but I can't find it anywhere. Have you tried Jesus? Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. He alone brings contentment. Not only does he bring contentment, but he gives you the ability to do all the things that Paul talked about here. You say, those are hard things, preacher. That's why Paul mentioned them. And some of you today are struggling in some of these areas in your life. I would encourage you today, if you've tried to do it in your own strength and failed, to stop trying to do it yourself and come to Jesus today and trust him to help you have the strength to do the things that you can't do in your own power. Let's